The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Open with me, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be in 1 Samuel 25 this morning. I've entitled this morning's message, Don't Be a Fool. Don't Be a Fool. Um, I've been to the theater three times over the last two weeks. So not, not the movie theater, but the type of theater that one goes to to see a play or a performance. Two weeks ago, my wife and I went to the Kennedy Center to see the 25th anniversary of Riverdance, um, and it was a really enjoyable event, uh, not the least of which because I was with my wife, but the dancers were nothing short of amazing um, in that performance. Then, so last week, eight days ago, so a week ago yesterday, my wife and I went to a performance by a group called Artstream. Um, our daughter works for Artstream, and Artstream is a nonprofit theater group that works with deve- developmentally challenged adults. And they put on a delightful little show called The Greatest Show Under the Sea. And we really, we thoroughly enjoyed that show as well, and we couldn't have been prouder of our daughter uh, for working for the work that she does with these uh, divine image bearers. It was really um, a wonderful thing. If you want to know more about Artstream, you come talk to me or my wife um, afterwards. And then last night, um, I went with the youth and some youth parents. We went to Lackey High School's performance of Beauty and the Beast. And again, also a delightful show. Um, if, you have, if you missed it, then you just missed it because last night was the last show, but we had a good time with that as well. Here's what I noticed about all three shows, though. Whether it's a professional, internationally renowned show like Riverdance, or whether it's developmentally challenged adults doing their best to remember their lines, or whether it's a high school musical, everyone plays a role. And all of the roles are important. When we think about plays and performances, we often think about the people that play the lead in these plays and performances. And those roles are important, of course. But so are the supporting roles. So are the roles that the audience never sees, like lighting and sound techs or stagehands. Everyone plays a role. And beloved, the same thing can be said about God's plan of redemption. We all play a role. Some of those roles are naturally more prominent than others. So Jesus is going to play the starring role in that. But we all play a role. And this morning we'll be looking at three specific roles that are played in God's unfolding drama of salvation. So if you're in 1 Samuel 25, say Amen. All right, follow along with me. It's, a, um, it's one chapter, but it's a longest chapter, 44 verses. Follow along as I read, please. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. 
The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and they did not, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both day and night, and by day, or excuse me, by, both by day and by night. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against us and against our master. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more so, if by morning I have so much as one, or I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears, and let the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. 
But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried to come to meet me, Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal as much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was very merry within him for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Caramel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as a wife. And she rose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey. And her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Gilim. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. 
Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, Lord, now that in the hearing of Your Word, as we read about events that took place 3,000 years ago, that we would remember that Your Word is still living and it's still active. And so use Your Word today, Father, to mold us and shape us into the men and women that You would have us be. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're a note-taker, my central idea for today's message is this. We all play a role in God's redemptive plan. We all play a role in God's redemptive plan. There are three main characters in our text today, and I'm going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to look at each of these characters um, individually, see what roles that they're playing in God's plan, and then hopefully what we're going to see is parallels in our own life to how God would use us. In, um, in his plan. But before we look at those three main characters, I want to first just give us a very brief overview, um, just in, in layman's terms, of the chapter that we just read. We're told in verse 1 that Samuel has died. Now, given the important role that Samuel has played in the first half of this book, we might expect that there would be more said about his death than this. But this is all we get, less than one verse. Um, but it's this brief verse is signaling for us a transition in leadership. Samuel's no longer on the scene. The people mourn for Samuel as they should. But there's a new leader who's getting ready to take over, and so life moves on. That new leader, of course, is David. Uh, but right now he's still being cased, chased excuse me, by the current leader, Saul. And so David and his men, they're in hiding in the wilderness of Paran. If you're familiar at all with um, Israel, Paran is the far southern region of Israel. And while David is minding his own business there in the wilderness of Paran, David gets word that there's a very rich man in Carmel. This man has 3,000 sheep. He has 1,000 goats. So in our modern language, this guy is loaded. Okay, He has got all kinds of money. And this rich man, his name is Nabal. Meanwhile, David has a feast day approaching, and so he sends some men to Nabal to ask him if he will consider sharing from his surplus um, so that David and his men can celebrate the feast. Um, but Nabal refuses his request, which sends David into an uproar. And David, David would have killed Nabal and all of his men if it hadn't been for the intercession of his wife, Abigail. And so those are our three main characters, Nabal, David, and Abigail. And we're going to take a look just briefly at each one of those characters this morning. So first, let's take a look at Nabal this morning, okay? Now, Nabal um, is a rather unfortunate name. This is not one that you want to put on your baby list of names if you have a boy coming out. The name in Hebrew, it actually means fool is what it means. So it's, it's not likely that his parents named him Nabal. It's more likely a nickname that he got that stuck to him because of his behavior. We're told in verse 3 that Nabal was harsh and badly behaved. And so Nabal gets this nickname. Um, you know, nickname stick, my father-in-law was a military fighter jet pilot, and his proper name was William Foot Marshall. Um, but when he was in flight school, he couldn't, remember, he couldn't remember anybody's name. So as any boy who grew up in South Carolina would do, he would just say, Hey, Bo, you know, how you doing, Bo? What, what's happening, Bo? Uh, which is South Carolina talk for, I don't know your name, but I'm going to just call you Bo. Um, and so it didn't take long for that nickname to stick to him. Um, and everybody saw all the... Fighter pilots, they, that was his nickname now. And so everybody knew him as Bo Marshall. Very few people ever called him as Bill Marshall or William Marshall. 
Mary and I were practically engaged before I realized that his proper name wasn't Bo. Um, so he was Bo. The nickname stuck. That's what happened to Nabal. The nickname stuck. This is how people knew him. But this guy, Nabal, he's a piece of work. Even his own servants recognized that Nabal um, wasn't any good. In verse 17 of our text, we see there, even one of his own servants says in verse 17, such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. His own servant, such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. I like the way the New Living Translation gets at that verse. In the NLT, it says, he's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. But this, this, that's just the start of it for Nabal. It's not all that the text has to say about him. When David's men politely ask for provisions so they can keep the feast, Nabal replies with a, who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, to be clear, so that we all understand what's happening here in the text, there, there's no chance, there is zero chance that Nabal doesn't know who, it, who David is. He knows 100% who he is. Israel's a small country. Nabal is, is a wealthy man. Because of his wealth, he would have been a man of some influence. He would have known who the king was, and he would have known who the king's once upon a time right-hand man was. So Nabal isn't politely asking, you know, well, who's David? I mean, I haven't been introduced to him yet. That's not at all what's happening here. Nabal rather is saying, well, who does David think he is? Does he think just because he's David that he can come and get some of my sheep? That's what Nabal's doing. It's an undisguised insult to David. It's a backhanded slap in the face to David. And what makes the insult all the more serious is the fact that in the Middle East, then, and it remains even so largely today, that region of the world is known for its hospitality. It was then, and it still is to this day, a major faux pas in that society to not show hospitality to somebody in need. You know, think, about, think about your biblical history for just a moment. If, you, if we re- read the book of Genesis, in Genesis 18, these three angelic messengers come to Abraham um, and to his wife, and they bend, Abraham and his wife bend over backwards to show hospitality to these messengers. And then in the next chapter, those same three angelic messengers, they go down to, Sot, uh, to, to excuse me, Sodom, to uh, where Lot, Abraham's nephew, is. And Lot shows them hospitality, even to the point of risking his own life and risking the life of his daughters. To neglect to show hospitality was like spitting in somebody's face. And this is exactly what Nabal's doing with his Who is David speech. He was such a worthless man that his, that his own wife couldn't trust him with the details of her plan to save the people. I'll say more about that, by the way, in just a few minutes. But while we're on the topic of Abigail, did you notice how Abigail describes her own husband? In her own words, verse 25, look there with me. She describes him this way. Nabal is this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So after Abigail had effectively saved Nabal and all his men, she has to wait till the next day even before she can tell Nabal about it because Nabal is too drunk to comprehend anything. So yet, yet another character flaw in a long list of character flaws for Nabal. 
But on the next day, when the wine had gone out of him, we're told in verse 37, that she, she tells him what she had done. And Nabal, apparently, he has a stroke or something to that effect. The text simply says his heart died within him and he became as a stone. He's not dead because in verse 38, we're told that he continues in that condition for about 10 days until, quote, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Beloved, pay careful attention to that. Nabal was such a wicked man that the Lord himself struck Nabal and killed him. Now, right about now, we're probably all feeling pretty good that we're not like Nabal. Um, married room in this, uh, married men rather in this room are maybe like giving an elbow to their wife and thinking, you know, I know I, know I might not be Mr. Prince Charming, but at least you're not married to Nabal. Um, but before we dislocate our shoulders, t- patting ourselves on the back, let's not be so quick to declare that we're not like Nabal. And I mean that, by the way, not just for the men in the room, but for the women as well. Beloved, could someone say of us? that he or she, they're so ill-tempered that it doesn't, do, it doesn't do any good to talk to him. It doesn't do any good to talk to her. I hope that's not true. Or maybe have we, have we ever found ourselves so full of ourselves that we don't pay attention to those, we don't notice those around us. We, we don't, or, or we don't even, we, we fail rather to care for people in the basic way that Scripture calls us to care for people. We're so full of ourselves that we don't even show hospitality to those in need. Now, I trust for us that maybe we're not as bad as Nabal, but that doesn't mean that we're any less in need of God's grace than Nabal was. Whenever we're confronted with the ungodly sin of someone else, whether that someone be somebody in Scripture like Nabal, or maybe it's somebody that you know in your own life, when we're confronted with the sin of others, we ought never to use that as an opportunity to boast. When we see sin in others, it ought to remind us that sin is crouching as well at our own door as well. It ought to remind us that there but for the grace of God go I. The Apostle Paul, who wrote nearly half of the books that we have in our New Testament, referred to himself as the chief of all sinners. And so as we grow in our knowledge of of God, as we grow in our knowledge of the gospel, two things are going to happen. And they'll happen simultaneously. First, we're going to recognize that we are far worse than we ever thought we were. We will see our sin in an entirely new light. And second, and again, simultaneously, we'll realize that we're far more loved than we ever possibly imagined. Nabal was a man who was wicked and sinful. But we were also born sinners, just as Nabal was. And so let's be mindful of that. That's, that's Nabal. Let's turn our attention now to the second character in our, in our uh, play here, is David. When Nabal disrespects David with his, you know, who is David reply, David gets fighting mad. In fact, David orders his soldiers, you know, it's time to giddy up. And, you know, he says specifically in verse 13, every man strap on a sword. And we're told in the the following verses that David also strapped on his own sword. He takes 400 of his men to go against Nabal and his men. It's a bit of overkill, by the way. David plans on killing Nabal and every male in Nabal's house. You know, when I first read that earlier in the week, as I'm reading over the text over and over again, I'm reading it, I, I... 
this is what came to mind. I, th- I thought, just chill out, David. I mean, don't don't you think don't you think you might be overreacting just a bit because he said you can't have some um, some food, right? Kind of kind of like that. Um, and I hope I don't get myself in the hot water, but I'll say it anyways. Um, kind of like that slap heard all around the world, um, which the uh, slap by the slapper's own admission was an overreaction to offense. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, some people do because some people laugh. Uh, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're better off probably not knowing. But think about David in his response. Was David's response an overreaction? Categorically, yes. It was 100% an overreaction. Just like the slap, it was, it was an overreaction. Now, was David legitimately offended? Yes. 100% he was without a doubt legitimately offended. And furthermore, listen, Nabal intended to offend him. You know, Nabal wasn't a, a stand-up comic telling a joke. He was intending to offend David. He, he said what he meant and he meant what he said. He was trying to offend David and he did so with flying colors. This is one of the reasons, by the way, Nabal is a fool. Because you really shouldn't try to intentionally offend somebody who's capable of taking you out. That's, you know, fools, only fools do that. With that said, however, just because he was legitimately offended, that doesn't mean he had the right to resort to physical violence and wanting to kill everybody in Nabal's house. Now, unless you think I'm just making this up, that, 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 David, was, uh, that David shouldn't have reacted that way, listen, listen to what the text says. This is what Abigail says to, to David later in that verse, verse 31, if you want to follow with me. Verse 31, Abigail says, My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord or for my Lord working salvation himself. And then when David responds, he says, Blessed be your discretion. This is verse 33. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. You see, David ultimately he recognizes that his reaction was an overreaction. And just by the way, I want to, I'll say this one last comment about the, the slap thing. I'm not trying to throw shade on that actor or anything. Please don't hear me wrong. You know, uh, I like him as an actor, I, I, and I, I genuinely appreciate his desire to want to stand up for his wife. Um, but it was an overreaction. But beloved, here's what I want us to see. Here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that we've all been there. All right? We've all done that. We've all overreacted at one point or another. I know I've been there. And for those of you who have been here for a number of years, you don't need to hear another sermon illustration about me throwing golf clubs, right? Uh, You know that about me. I've told you that story before. Those were overreactions on my part. And if you're honest with yourself, you know too that there have been times in your own life when you've overreacted to something. Maybe it was an overreaction to your child when they did something wrong. Maybe it was an overreaction to somebody cutting you off in traffic, you know, that turned to road rage. Maybe it was an overreaction to a comment that somebody made about you, either to your face or maybe they made that comment to somebody else and word gets back to you that they made this comment. Maybe it's an overreaction to a perceived wrong or perhaps it's even a real wrong that somebody committed against you. 
Beloved, we're often quick to tell people, other people, I think you're overreacting to this. We try to tell people that they need more grace in their responses. But when it comes to ourselves, well, that's often, and I'm, again, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anybody, that, well, that's a different story because after all, and at least in my mind, you know, it's, my, this is not an overreaction. This is righteous indignation, right? With an emphasis, of course, on the righteous part of my indignation. David was offended. And rightly so. He should have been offended. But his offense shouldn't have led him to want to strap on a sword and take out Nabal and his men. You know, David is often seen, we, we, we play him up, and for, for rightly so in many cases. You know, David is a man after God's own heart. We often show him as the hero. Well, he's no hero in this text today. The Lord's actually going to use somebody else as a hero. Her name's Abigail. He's going to use Abigail to save David on this occasion, which takes us now to our final character, to Abigail herself. Without a doubt, without a doubt, Abigail is the human hero of this story. I got so excited reading this story this week. I've read this story hundreds of times, and I can't tell you how excited I got reading this story. And I realized, I think maybe for the first time in reading this, that Abigail actually points to the work of Jesus. And I'd never seen that before. And I, I hope you'll see that clearly in just a moment. Yeah, we're told at the beginning of the story that her name was Abigail. And Abigail, which means, uh, the name means cause for joy or a father's joy. And we're told in verse 3 that Abigail, she was discerning and beautiful. So she was beautiful on the inside and on the out. And one might wonder what a woman like Abigail is doing getting mixed up with a guy like Nabal, but she was likely, as often was the case in those days, she was likely promised to him at a very young age. And so it was a marriage. You know, marriages in biblical times weren't marriages of like, you know, we started dating when we were in high school and we fell in love. And that's not how marriages happened. So she was likely promised to him. But even in being married to this man, she's still being described as discerning and beautiful. When Nabal gives his who is David speech, she's not around to try to talk any sense into her husband. We're told in verse 14 that one of the young men from Nabal's household has to tell Abigail what happened. The young man confirms for Abigail that David's men had been very good to them in the fields. He confirms that David's men had protected them in the fields. And then he tells Abigail that David and his men are they're surely going to respond against Nabal and his household and this is not going to end well. So in verse 18... I love this. It says, Abigail made haste to prepare food for David and his men. Now, you know, maybe you've had some unexpected company. You've had to throw together some, maybe get some finger sandwiches together, whatever. This is what, this is what Abigail does to, to make haste to prepare some food. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep, 35 quarts of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, right? This is just, I just got to throw something together, right? And spur of the moment. I don't know what you have in your pantry. We're not going to be able to do that um, this afternoon at our household for sure. Literally here, enough food to feed an army. And she tells the young man, go on before us. I'll come after you. This is simply a matter of logistics. The young man would have traveled faster. And so she tells him you know, to go get underway and she'll be behind. But she makes a decision here not to tell her husband. And I told you I'd come back to that earlier. It's an interesting decision. that she doesn't tell her husband what she's getting ready to do. And and. And I want you to hear me out on this. I'm going, to, I'm going to say something that may offend some of you when I say it, but I want you to hear me out on this. The Scriptures present 
a godly order for the home. We see that throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, there's, there's no question about this. The Scriptures is very clear that husbands are called to be the heads of their households. And they're called to lead their families well. And beloved, I believe that is absolutely true. But hear me well. Nowhere in the Bible are wives called to follow their husbands into sin. So husband, if you're trying to lead your wife into sin, she not only has the right, she even has the responsibility to refuse your sinful lead. Nabal was a fool who sinfully offended and provoked David and his men. There was absolutely no excuse for what Nabal said or for how he said it. And because Abigail is a godly woman, she comes to the rescue. And so, yes, generally speaking, husbands should lead. But whenever that leadership is sinful, wives have a duty to obey the Lord rather than their husbands. And so, wives... If your husbands are sinfully abusing you in whatever way, I want you to know that you need to reach out for help. The Bible doesn't command you to, to bow to that type of sinful leadership. You need an advocate. I hope that's not happening, but I just feel compelled. I need to say that out loud. Abigail doesn't tell her husband what she's doing, and she was right not to tell him. But I want us to go down now. To look, look with me in verse 24. And I want you to notice Abigail's response to David. By the way, Abigail's speech in this chapter, it's the, it's the longest speech of any single individual in the chapter. Um, notice how Abigail starts. We don't have time to go, because it's such a long speech, we don't have time to go through all everything that she's going to say, but I'm going to really zero in on what she says at the beginning because this is so important. In verse 24, we're told Abigail falls down at David's feet and then she says these um, eight words. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. On me alone be the guilt. Now let me ask this question. I, I read the whole chapter, so you, you heard it earlier. What is Abigail guilty of in this chapter? Absolutely nothing. She hasn't done anything wrong. She's sinless. Now, hear me well. I know she's not really sinless, but as far as the narrative of this chapter goes, she hasn't done anything where she is guilty. She wasn't even there when David and his men came earlier. She, was, she wasn't even there when Nabal responded with his, you know, who is David? So as far as this story goes, she's sinless. But she says, on me alone be the guilt. What's happening here? Love, this is so important. This got me so excited this week. Abigail is propitiating the wrath of David. Now you're going, okay, why are you using that big old word? Because I'm using that word because it's a biblical word. But what does that mean? What does propitiation mean? It's a word that's used multiple times in the New Testament. To propitiate something is, so Jesus, for example, is said to be the propitiation of our sin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus, when He went to the cross, Jesus was satisfying the wrath of God against our sin. That God in His righteousness was angry or full of wrath against our sin, which He should have been. And Jesus said, I'll take that wrath. Jesus propitiated the wrath. He said, let it not be against them. I'll take it. Now in our story, Abigail 
is doing that for Nabal and his men. She's saying, David, I know you're wrathful. I know you're angry at Nabal's men, but on me be the guilt. On me alone be the guilt. She goes on to say in verse 24, she says, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. You see, Abigail is standing in the place. She's standing in and doing what Nabal should have done to start with. As I read this passage this week and I was studying, I couldn't, I, it was almost as if Jesus was saying, you know, as I read that Jesus would say to the God of the Father, you know, don't regard this worthless sinner because, because sin is bound up in him. His name is sin. And Jesus saying to the Father, Father, on me alone be the guilt. I'm gonna, I'll take Brian's guilt. He doesn't need to have it. I, I will step in. All of his guilt Give it to me. I'll take it. And not only for me, but for each one of you as well. Jesus says, I'll take your guilt. Love, this is such a beautiful passage. Abigail is such a heroine in this passage. And I don't know why I've never seen it before. But Abigail plays the role of Jesus in this passage. She satisfies the wrath of David against his offense. Just like Jesus satisfies the wrath of God against our sin. In verse 28, she begs David, please forgive the trespass of your servant. Beloved, that's what Jesus did for us when He went to the cross. Right? We all have a bit of navel in us. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all have a bit of navel in us. And we, we all carry our own sin and we all deserve to be condemned. But God has forgiven our trespasses through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is saying to the Father, please forgive the trespass of your servants because I'm taking the blame. What a glorious, glorious picture of what salvation is. We're getting ready and just just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Um, and I just want you to know that that's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's table. We recognize that Jesus said, I'll take it for you. I'll give my body for you so that your sins can be forgiven. I'll, I'll shed my blood for you so that you can have eternal life. That's what Jesus is doing. And as we celebrate the supper, which we again we'll do here in just a moment, that's what Jesus is doing. He's doing what Abigail did in this case. He's saying, on me alone be the guilt, O Lord. On me alone be that guilt. Praise God for that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace and Your kindness. Lord, I'm just so caught in this miraculous story. Just almost by default, I want to look for David to be the hero of the story. But I thank you for your servant Abigail who, who said, on me alone be the guilt. Just as Jesus stood in for me 
and for all who are hearing my voice right now and said, on me alone be the guilt. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for giving yourself even when even when I'm more like Nabal than I care to admit. I'm reminded that Abigail did this for Nabal not because he had changed his character, not because Nabal had shown himself worthy of Abigail stepping in like this. While she's doing this, he's at home getting drunk. Father, thank You for loving me, for loving us while we were yet sinners. Thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to satisfy the wrath that was that we rightly deserve. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the corner of your chair, you'll find a little cup like this. Um, by the way, we, Lord willing, in the next few months, we'll go back to celebrating the supper the way we did pre-pandemic. Uh, but we just want to be we want to be a good steward of what we've already purchased. We don't want to just throw things away. So we will do for the next couple of months. Uh, this way, uh, but Lord willing, we'll be returning to uh, to serving the supper um, in our former fashion, fashion before long. But we still have a, a couple months' supply of these things in our closet that we want to take care of. Um, I want to. I want to. What's what's called what theologians call fence the table. Sometimes you, know, you people. Well, the supper's for everybody. Well, the supper's not really for everybody. The supper is for everybody who is trusting and following Jesus. Because the supper, again, is a pronouncement that, thank you. We, we do this in remembrance of Him. And we do it as we gather together. We gather together and we remember what Christ did for us. And so if you're a believer here today, whether you're a member of this church or not, that's a secondary issue. But if you're a believer today, you've been baptized, you're following the Lord Jesus, you're a member of a church. Maybe it's not this church, but you're a member of a church. So you're following the Lord in obedience. Uh, and you believe as we do. We do. So if you believe that you're going to get some kind of salvation because of what you eat or drink here, then that's not what we believe. We believe what we're doing here is remembering that Jesus has already paid the penalty for us. So as we eat this bread, as we drink this, the fruit of the vine, we're not counting on this little chalice to provide any salvation for us. Jesus has already taken care of that. But we're remembering that. And so... You're welcome to be a part of this. Now, in the meantime, uh, for those who are members here, and others of you are welcome to say this, but uh, we, we also have here at our church, we have a church covenant. And just as a reminder, we've started here in the last couple of years of repeating this covenant, reminding ourselves of our promise. So a covenant is a promise that we make to one another. And so if you're a church member, um, the, the covenant's going to be on the screens here. And I would just encourage you to uh, to read it out loud with me. I'm going to turn my mic off and, um, and we're going to read it together. So let's go to the first screen, Brandy. So.
then the fruit of the vine. I say fruit of the vine. This is not this. So this is non-alcoholic. Now, not to make a statement there, but for those of you who might be, if you if you're a guest with us, um, Jesus said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood shed that we might have life. That we might have forgiveness of sins. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, two things real quick. I'm going to have a benediction scripture. Um, my brother Ronnie Scott is going to be in the back with a blue bag for our benevolence offering. So if you've come prepared to give benevolence, benevolence just means so the doing of good. And so we try to do good to uh, both those within our um, congregation as well as um, those uh, outside in our community. We try to help them. And so you just see, Ronnie, if you've come prepared to give for that. Uh, but thinking about what we just did with the Lord's Supper, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body, or excuse me, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. God bless you. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.